You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today is a special episode. I'm going to break with my traditional flow because in addition to all the curveballs that life has thrown in 2020, the last couple of weeks, we've added another to the mix. It's back to school time. Now, while this was an anticipated change and not everybody has kids, Nobody knew what it was going to look like this fall with all the pandemic chaos and all that fun stuff. And adjusting to this new shift with all of its variables, its uncertainties, the stresses that accompany it, there's been an impact not just on the parents and not just on the employers, but even the coworkers and frankly, everybody else too. So today I'm bringing in an expert, someone who's an expert on the one thing that seems to be the greatest challenge of them all integrating work life and home life and maintaining your sanity in the process. So my hope is that in listening today, by the end, you'll have gained greater understanding, awareness, and empathy for whoever else is in your world, regardless of what your role is, an understanding of everybody else, and get some concrete do's and don'ts and strategies for having more productive conversations that leave your relationship stronger and leave you and your people more effective and happier at work and at home. So with that, my guest today is the president of WFD Consulting, Debbie Phillips. Welcome, Debbie. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm really, it's a pleasure to be here. So give us a quick 30-second nutshell. What is the focus of WFD Consulting? Sure. So WFD Consulting is a consulting firm. We've been around for more than 35 years, and we really focus on Work-life integration and diversity and inclusion consulting. So basically what that means is we help people be able to integrate and manage their work and their personal lives. And you guys were some of the kind of the pioneers in this area, weren't you? Really making this an issue that needed to be discussed, not just something that sort of happened. Absolutely. We started over, as I said, over 35 years ago when issues were prominent and for women entering the workforce. And now, you know, for a while, things were sort of on an even keel and an even track and COVID hit and we're back to square one or even prior yeah, and I think it's all, if nothing else, uh, it's helped men to see how this is a bigger challenge than they perhaps had originally given women credit for needing to deal with that now that everybody's working from home and kids are home and everybody's juggling this, that, and the other thing. And the realization of, huh, this is a little bit more complicated and less pleasant than I really thought it was going to be. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the one thing, too, to remember, and maybe for your audience, is that you said it earlier, and I think it's really critical, is it's really difficult for working families, but it is just as difficult for everyone. Everyone has a life. Everyone has a personal life, whether it involves children or adult relatives or their pets. Everybody has a life. And uh, we need to be respectful of what people are dealing with in these times. It's really challenging. 
then why is discussing work life and home life integration so difficult? It was really difficult 35 years ago when there really wasn't anything in place. But since then, we really have had structures in place that have provided people with the ability to manage somewhat, not perfect, but the ability to manage. We've had, you know, infrastructure, childcare facilities, things like that. Those all went away during this pandemic. Many of them are not available. And so even in good times or semi-good times, conversations were really difficult to have because it's very hard to be open and honest when you might be fearful about what the ramifications might be. You might not want to share your personal situations. Uh, you might be worried about what your coworkers and managers are going to say. Your managers might be worried that you're not going to pull your weight in terms of the work getting done. So all of those things in a normal situation where childcare is available or, you know, these kinds of education in general, schools are open, puts us in a different situation. And now there's just nothing that people can rely on, very little that people can rely on with those structures. It's scary, isn't it? Very. Yeah. 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 And where does organizational culture come into play with all of this? How does it influence people's abilities to have these conversations? Culture is really critical because it really is the bedrock for how people feel in terms of what they can say, how open they can be. When a culture is strictly on paper, you know, you can go to somebody's website, you can read what their culture is all about. And then if you are employed, you might find that that culture really doesn't exist, that there's a difference Mm. that's in the organization. And so when a culture is completely aligned with what they say and talk about, and then how it really is operationalized in the workplace, then that's perfect. That's really, that allows people to be open and have good conversations. When there's a gap between what the organization says and what actually happens, if someone speaks up, asks for something, says something, identifies a challenge, then those conversations spread like wildfire throughout the organization and people become reluctant to say anything. The one thing that, you know, I don't want to make this sound doom and gloomy, because I do think there really is good opportunity to have those kinds of conversations regardless of the culture. And of course, that's why we're here today, right? Is to learn how to do that. Exactly. But I do think it's important to recognize what your culture is when you're thinking about how to prepare. So culture is really important. Not to tangent too much on it, but on that point, is there a way that leaders, founders, people up in in the the big decision makers in organizations, large and small, what's an easy step that they can take to perhaps discover if there is indeed a gap between what they claim, what they espouse, what they are evangelizing all over the place, that this is us and this is our culture versus what their people actually say when the microphones are off, so to speak? That's a really good question. And I think that one of the things that I really love and I use all the time is really just the simple voice of the customer, listening to your people, listening to what, asking the question, not being afraid to hear the answer, not assuming that, you know, the answer is going to be exactly what you want it to be, but really listening, gathering that input, and then dealing with the things where, you know, maybe what they're saying doesn't really align with what you think is going on. You say you have to not be afraid to ask the question. What's the question? The question is, in this case, you know, what are we doing in our culture? Do you feel comfortable 
speaking up and talking about what's going on? Or are you afraid that there'll be retribution? What are the things that we can do better that are going to allow you? And at what levels of the organization? You might be, you could ask the question of, are you able to ask your manager for support? Or are you afraid? Your manager might be someone who you can talk to and really have a good conversation with, but the manager doesn't feel like they can have that conversation about. So there are all kinds of things that you can do to ask. And really, hopefully, organizations have a set of values that they believe in, that they think are important, and they can ask some questions related to those values. So anything related to the issues that you think, in this case, it might be issues related to COVID. We've had organizations that have gone out and done pulse surveys and, and had discussion sessions around how well they're doing with the pan- response to the pandemic and are willing to hear whether or not what they're doing is actually hitting the mark. Sure. Okay. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a second here. So I, I hear a little bit of an irony, a little bit of a catch-22. If we ask the question, are you afraid to give feedback for fear of retribution? If the answer is yes, wouldn't they not answer or wouldn't they claim no? Not necessarily. It depends on how you ask the question and who asks it, right? So if you're concerned that people are not speaking up because of fear of retaliation or retribution, Mm -hmm. then you may actually want to ask the question with someone that isn't part of your organization so that people will be open and honest. You might want to do it in a sort of confidential survey way where you can Mm. give people an opportunity. It doesn't mean you have to have a face-to-face dialogue with people if you're concerned about that. A lot of organizations also have um, confidential resources that they can use like an ombuds, right? That sounds really scary, like there's a big problem. But there are places within an organization where you can just have a coaching conversation or a conversation about something that's a challenge. So I do think there are many different ways organizations can get that information. I think is not so much how to get people to respond. I think you can find that. The bigger challenge goes back to the culture, which is when I hear the information, do I actually do anything about it? Does the organization actually do anything? And if you don't, then it's sort of a cycle because then people are going to say, okay, you asked me, I told you, you're not changing anything. I'm not going to say anything. Right. So having the conversation is a good start, but that's not enough just to pat yourself on the back and say, hey, we had a conversation, ergo, we talked about it. Check. Check the box. That's right. 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 That is certainly a culture unto itself. And boy, do people know if that's the pervasive MO of an organization, isn't it? That's right. What are some of the biggest roadblocks to having these conversations in the first place? We've been talking about fear of retaliation. And I think that really the underpinning of that is trust, right? Do I have a lot of trust with the people I work with, with my organization in general? Do I feel like I am free to really talk about what the challenges are? An honest dialogue and conversation, even if the solution isn't going to be exactly what I want it to be. At least know that I can have an open conversation about what the challenges are and try to come to some solution or agreement that's going to really be beneficial to me as Mm. well as to my teammates and, and the organization as a whole. And then I really think that in addition to trust, I think there's also situations that come up that are related to fear of retaliation that really have to do with whether or not 
you feel like you can move forward and make a decision with your teammates and be able to effectively do your work, that you don't feel guilty about the fact that you aren't going, you maybe aren't contributing, especially during COVID. You know, we hear from employees and managers, both sides of this equation, where you know, the managers are saying, you know, I feel for these people. I feel for people that are having these challenges, but we just have to get the work done. You know, we just need to really get this work done. Mm-hmm. And I guilty about not being able to be as supportive as maybe I could, I want to be. And then on the employee side, it's like, I really, I've been a good performer. I've always met my deliverables. I've always done a good job. I just can't manage this. I can't seem to make this work. So the guilt that people feel sometimes can actually be a roadblock to wanting to or feeling like you can have that open, that open conversation. Right. It's an internal story you're telling yourself, right? That might not be true. Sure. And, and guilt is something that we all struggle with at some point or other. And I think this is another one of those areas where, especially in the last, you know, 30 or 40 years, and I'm sure long before that, you know, working mothers in particular have, that's part of the the narrative for us. It's part of the common discussions in women's initiatives and uh, women in business overall, the whole idea of I feel guilty if I'm not there for my kids 100%, but I feel guilty at the same time if I'm doing something with my family and thus not at my job for as many hours beyond the eight to five or so that I somehow feel pressured that I should be. And now it's becoming more and more uh, shared by men as well. And of course, there were previously men who felt that way, but maybe weren't allowed to talk about it. I think it was not considered masculine in many ways. Traditionally speaking, men weren't supposed to worry about that. Men were supposed to just have the jobs and not worry about the family that was for the women to take care of, et cetera. And now, look, all these, or in many ways, at least, these traditional gender roles and expectations have gone out the window and everybody's saying, look, we're struggling with these things and we feel frustrated, guilty, and, you know, it's an odd level of shared empathy (laughs) over something that's painful this way. But perhaps the silver lining is that now that it's becoming a little bit more of a universal pain point, that there'll be a little bit more incentive to change the discussion around it a bit more proactively and empathetically. And I think really to just make it even a little bit more complicated, it really also depends on where you are in the organization. Of course. You know, I mean, if you're in a position of um, some type of power and privilege where, you know, oftentimes in the previous narrative, you know, men were in a higher position, had more privilege, could make some of these decisions that were kind of invisible about what they did managing. And it's a little bit harder. But quite frankly, right now, it's hard for everyone. And that might be actually, I wouldn't really call it a positive, but something that is positive in a way, because it's really highlighting the fact that work and personal responsibilities are challenging anyway. The blurred lines between work and personal life without all the childcare complications are really tricky. You know, people are working 24-7. They're they're really having a hard time finding a way to balance or manage that, which I don't ever want to use balance, but manage those relationships between their work life and their home life and their personal life. So, you know, I think this is like an amazing equalizer. Sure. And I agree. They're certainly not positive, but I sort of look at those situations and to me, those are silver linings. It's a cloud. Yep. You know, you can't have a silver lining without the cloud in the first place. But as long as there's going to be the cloud, the silver lining around it is that we learn something important. There's greater right. understanding. There's a more universal recognition of challenges that 
previously a smaller group was facing. So, uh, you know, I'll take that. Look, at this point, I'll take positives wherever they are. <laughs> I'm taking them too. I, I, mean, I think we do have to find them. And we, you know, we do know that the one thing too, that's important to note here is that whatever we do now is going to help us. Yes. After COVID, these conversations that we want to have and that we need to have, while the challenges are probably going to be much greater now than they will be post. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so too. But it, things are changing. The way we work, things are really changing. And so there will still be challenges and being able to have open and honest conversations, being able to really talk about the things that are challenges and problem solve together are really important skills to build. So this time to practice building those skills. Sure. Well, in attempting to build those skills and to make these changes, what are some of the first steps that people can take to be able to engage in these conversations? So first and foremost, I think it's about making sure that we are starting from a position of understanding and empathy, understanding that basically we are going to give people some leeway here. We're not going to assume that everything is the way it was and that people should just buck up and figure this out and do what they need to do without any help or any assistance, right? We need to be empathetic. And the second thing that we really need to do after we do that is really just look at what are the root causes of this situation that is challenging, not what is the emotion attached to the situation or the judgments that we're making about the situation. So for example, if we're hearing that someone wants to talk to us about a work-life challenge, are we in our head saying, oh, there we go, you know, another person with a child and they're going to tell me that they can't figure this out. But I figured it out when I had young children and, you know, they have to find a solution. They have to find a backup. Or a manager that's saying, oh, no, here's, you know, another conversation I have to have. And I know my boss is not going to be willing to allow me to do anything. And, you know, I'm just going to have to say no, and I'm going to feel bad about that. And just all of these assumptions that I would like people to put out, out of the back of their minds before they enter the conversation, go into the conversation with an open mind and will be willing to listen to each other. It goes back to my point in the conversation we were having about, you know, the, asking the questions in the voice of the customer. It's really listening to the person and not having preconceived ideas because your issues that you're facing might be similar to mine, but they may be just slightly different. And if I go into it thinking, I know what your problems are and I don't really need to listen to you, we're not going to find a good solution. We're going to miss something. So communication, discussion, open dialogue, really critical. I'd like to poke a little bit at the concept of assumptions, because I think I think one of the buzzwords of the last 10 years is empathy, right? We hear that all. Mm-hmm. I just watched the Brene Brown Netflix special for the second time, literally a couple of days ago. And empathy is a big part. I think she's fabulous. But after a while, I think people start to tune out to the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Empathy, empathy, kumbaya, kumbaya. You know, that was a big part of the <laughs> DNC a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, 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 I get it. Be nice. But it it goes, I think when you tag empathy with the concept of being aware of your assumptions, and again, what's the challenge of that is that assumptions are unconscious. So we have to start asking ourselves, maybe even before we step into the conversation, all right, I know I'm going to have this conversation either because I have to, and I want to, maybe I'm going to initiate because I have a challenge I need to share with my boss, with my employee, with my 
coworker, my partner in, in the team or whoever it is versus, oh boy, this person's coming and they're bringing a problem to me. Before we engage, how to sort of check at the door and say, okay, wait, let me take stock. Let me take a moment, a little mindfulness moment here and say, what's my attitude before I even walk in? Am I already bracing myself? Am I assuming the worst? Am I assuming that this person is going to ask me for X, whine about Y, you know, try to blame somebody else for Z? You know, all right, let me give them the benefit of the doubt. Blank slate. Let me just listen to what, now maybe I'm right, in which case, all right, we'll see where that goes. But before we even start, let me not just start planning my responses to things that they haven't even said yet, right? Let, let's not build the arsenal in anticipation of the war that may or may not come, right? To, to look at people more openly from there. Would, would that be an accurate first step, for example, as a way to demonstrate some more concrete empathy? I think it is. I think that it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult. To- oh, yeah. I never said it was easy. <laughs> no, to take that away. But being able to reflect before you have a meeting, not jumping right into it, making sure that you're not assuming to your point about what those things are, and actually being very clear for you about what some of the challenges might be, right? Just because maybe an employee, a person is coming to you with their challenge, doesn't that you already are, you know, know that there are some other challenges that are happening. So for example, we talked a lot about the employee coming with a work-life challenge, right? But there are situations now where the way work has changed, the way work is happening, is that more and more people, percentage of people are not coming into a workplace, right? They're working from home. But there are jobs, there are things that require people to actually come into the office. Now, if an organization, if a department maybe doesn't have people that are coming in and other departments are having to pick up the slack for people that aren't physically coming in, those are, again, business issues and challenges that are related in the broader scheme to work and personal responsibilities and the way we're working, where you're very right. You know, sometimes the manager has to bring it up to a team to say, here's our dilemma, here's our problem. So instead of saying, we're not getting this done, you aren't coming in, you know, placing blame, doing all that, set that aside and really try to think about what is the problem I'm trying to solve and how do I have an open conversation so that we can problem solve it without making any preconceived judgments or having any bias that clouds that good conversation, that conversation that is going to hopefully be open and honest and help us get to a solution that's going to be respectful and supportive so that the needs of the business get done, but also the people are able to make that work. Now, in some situations, you know, as I said, it may not be exactly the way everybody wants it to work out. Maybe somebody is going to have to decide that, you know what, maybe I do have to reduce my hours or hopefully they won't have to feel like they have to leave the workforce. But we know that that's happening. People are making those decisions. I just think that sometimes those decisions are being made without having those really critical conversations to try to find. Because again, this is not going to be forever. We don't know how long it's going to be, but it's not going to be forever. So, you know, if we can find ways for the work to get done and the people to be able to feel like they can get it done, that's the goal, I think. that That's the work-life integration goal. Give me an example of a big mistake that people make in these conversations. Typically, I ask people in, in who are my podcast guests to share an example of, of a mistake that they made, but give me an example of where 
clients are, are struggling with something because they are, have needed to bring a challenge up to whoever it is, regardless of respective roles. And where did something just go wrong? And what should they have done? And or if they did actually have the chance for a do-over, did they fix it? How did they make it right? I have a good example that maybe would be atypical of what people would be expecting. Hmm. But okay. you know, we have a, a situation where a person was forced to work remote, 100% remote, and their personal situation was such that it just was not working. It was not going to happen. And it wasn't related to children. So it just was not going to happen. And they really needed to get back into the office. And they felt like even if they could get back into the office for one or two days, that would be really helpful so that they could be efficient, effective, and actually minimize the challenges that they were facing on their personal side. The mistake was that they opted to use the one-way communication of email as opposed to having a dialogue, a, a conversation with their manager or whomever. And they basically just sent, flew the email across the transom and just said, no, I want to come in the office one day or two days a week. Can I do that? So that sort of question didn't leave any space for any conversation. Yeah. Didn't and invite a conversation about what the issues were behind that or what the challenges were or why. It was just, can I do, you know, this is what I want to do. Yeah, point blank, yes or no, no context, no nothing, and that forces somebody's hand. No nothing. And a lot of times with email, that's what happens, right? Sure. Up using it as sort of, we just throw it over the transom and then we don't have the conversations. Maybe because those conversations are going to be challenging. Maybe this person didn't feel like they really wanted to share. Mm-hmm. In the end, that's what they did. And their response would be what you probably would expect. Nope, you can't do that. You know, (laughs) we have a rule, you know, only so many people can be in and, you know, nope, can't do that. You can, your work is perfectly capable of being done externally. And so you have to be remote. Thankfully, there was a do-over in this particular case. And this person did reach out, got some support uh, from their network about what else could they do. And, and they actually did go back and try again. Only this time they asked to have a conversation, a real conversation. And they came prepared with some talking points that really talked about what was the problem they were facing, not the emotional or personal side of what the challenges were at home. So not like, you know, I can't do this because, but more, you know what I need to be able to use the systems and supports that I have in the office. I don't have access to them. It's really hampering my ability to get my work done. I know that there are requirements for the number of people in. Is there a way that we can get me at least in the door one day a week, if not more? And when the conversation happened and the supervisor and manager was able to listen to that and say, ah, you know what? This is not just the personal side if I want to come back. This is the work side of, I'm having trouble getting this part of my job done. I don't need to come in, you know, three days. I just need to come in at least one, if not two. And to that point, it's not just like, I'm having trouble getting this done. Look, we're all having trouble with these kinds of things. But it's that I am actively inhibited from doing my job because the resource that I need is only accessible from here. Because we all have the, well, I can't get it done because. But the, the specific reason is objectively, technologically 
based in this case. So to make it clear that I'm not asking for something just because it's a hardship and it's a preference, but I am actively unable to do my job because of something inherent in the structure of the company that that won't let me do it this way. It's, It's actually not possible. That's right. And actually, to go back to something that we were talking about earlier is that around these those assumptions, right? It is absolutely accurate that this person was having an emotional reaction to having to work from home. Sure. Who, who's not? It, right. But it didn't need to be part of the conversation that they had about what they needed to do to solve this problem. Mm, yes. And so in this case, the decision was that they could come back two to three days. So it was a win-win because they were willing to take the risk of having a conversation, but also more importantly, thoughtful about the way to present the request and sure. information. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, the, it's not that we have to disassociate our emotions from these conversations. We just can't let them drive. I mean, is it fair to feel like, and of course you have to know yourself, know your relationship with whoever you're talking to and be able to manage the degree. But I don't think there's anything wrong. You can tell me, you know, I'm not in HR, so I could be totally off the mark here to say, look, I, I need to talk to you about this. And it is emotional for me, but I'm, so I'm going to do my best to just keep it objective and just leave it there. So that if you push them coming through a bit, they recognize that you're at least trying to stay objective and to focus on something, but to allow you to be a person too. Exactly. I think that's really important to keep as just a fundamental tenant of communication, right? Being able to be authentic and not feel like you can't separate your personal emotional side from what the issues are. However, I think that what happens in these situations around work-life challenges, and more importantly during this pandemic, is that everyone is having some type of challenge and issue. Mm-hmm. What what again, going back to checking assumptions, which is really hard to do on bias, is that story in someone's head as they're listening to, depending on how you present it and how you prepare, the story that they're hearing is, yes, you know what, I hear you and I know you're having a challenge, but I'm having a challenge too. You know what? And it's very hard to keep the emotion of this particular situation in check. And so the more we can be authentic but actually try to be planful and be able to articulate the problem without bringing in all of the emotion to it. I think it actually allows us to say, you know, we're all having this challenge. Here's my particular request and challenge, and this is why. What happens with the other side of it is when we bring in you know, I'm really feeling stressed. I really can't get my work done. I'm really feeling stressed about how I'm having to work. I really don't feel like I'm being effective. I can't do my job. When we say all of those things, we actually set up a different narrative with Mm. hearing. And then we actually start to feel like we have to defend what we're doing. We have to either blame ourselves or or the situation itself, the organization, our peers. And it just makes it harder to cut to the chase about what is it we're trying to solve for and how can we do that. That's a great place to dive a little bit deeper now and to start to look at some of those phrases. And I want people to leave today with ideas of maybe some stock phrases they can use that Mm -hmm. are sentence starters of sorts to make sure that they're starting off on the right foot 
metaphorically speaking at least, and that they're beginning their conversations, they're opening their statements in a way that's going to allow the other person to let down some defenses and Mm -hmm. to be able to hear what they're really saying and ways that will help the speaker to avoid shooting themselves in the foot. I guess I'm sticking with feet metaphors today (laughs) before they even get started. Right. So even, you know, what you just mentioned a minute ago, recognizing that this is a challenge, but I recognize that everybody's struggling right now. I know it's not just me. I know everybody is having difficulty with this. So I'm not trying to play woe is me, Mm -hmm. but here is what I'm dealing with. Right. So acknowledging that you're not the martyr of, of the world, but you still have a problem that needs to be addressed. So just giving a little bit of that give and take before we start allows maybe somebody who's listening to know, okay, you're not going to play the drama king or drama queen before we even begin. I appreciate that acknowledgement. Okay, let's see what else you have to say. Mm-hmm. So what are some good phrases to avoid and some alternatives to use instead? Let's see if we can match them up a little bit. Like be careful not to start with X, try Y instead. Basically, you really want to try very hard not to start from a position of defense. What would that sound like? You don't want to start with the position of saying, I can't get my job done. I can't meet these deadlines. I can't be on calls at 10 o'clock in the morning. I can't, I can't, I won't, I whatever, can't do that. Okay. Any of those kinds of situations to sort of start with, I can't do something is going to probably put that person who's listening into a feeling like that now they have to either come up with a solution, you know, that may not even match with what you're really trying to say, Mm -hmm. really get defensive about, you know, the fact that you're not the only one or bring up the fact that, well, yes, you might not be able to do this, but, you know, everyone else is having a challenge with this as well. And start with more of the position that I'm having this particular challenge. And if you want to be specific, bringing back the authenticity and the, and the example of what's happening without the emotion, my children just went to 100% remote unexpectedly, and now I have to do homeschooling between 10 and 2. So my challenge is, how can I be accessible to you, to our team, and meet objectives when things are urgent between those time periods where my attention might be elsewhere? What can we do? So again, here's my challenge. This, you explain why this is a challenge. And then what can we do about it? Here's what I think we can do about it. Mm. You know, and then go to the, so what? What can you do? You know what? Here are some things I've thought about that I can do. Would that work for us? You know, would, would that work for us? Do we need to have a conversation with the team to really say, you know what? I know that there are some important deadlines that might happen. I can promise to at least keep one eye on my emails or you can feel like if you absolutely have to, you can call me during those times or text me, instant message. But setting up some agreed upon expectations around what that means, which doesn't say I'm out of pocket for those times. I can't possibly make this. So you know what? Now I need to either go part time or I can't make this work. Right, right. No ultimatums before you even get the conversation off the ground. Exactly. Now, again, you know, there may be some give and take to what has to happen. Sure. And it may be, again, that your situation, the one that I just shared, maybe this is only going to be short time. Again, we're talking about COVID where things are pivoting and changing on a dime, literally from day to day, right? Fingers across. So, so, 
Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, sometimes you might think that your child's school is going to go be a, have a hybrid model and then tomorrow there's an outbreak and now they're 100% remote. You just don't know. And so, again, we need to be flexible and we need to be back to using empathy and understanding. We need to just recognize that, you know, these things are going to happen and how are we going to be flexible and do that? So back to your question about things that we might not say. So before we go on to another example, I want to reinforce something that you just mentioned. In my standard podcast flow of sorts, one of the questions that I have asked everybody else is when your direct reports are bringing something to you, what do you wish they would do differently, whether it's a problem or whether it's a pitch or whether it's whatever it is. And one of the most common themes that I hear in the answer is when you're bringing me a problem, don't just dump the problem on my desk, bring me solutions. Don't expect (laughs) me to solve the problem for you. So I think you just did a really great job of illustrating it, a perfect example, a perfect context in which, yeah, there are major problems, but don't just say, I can't do this. It's too this. My kids just went online and went this and went that and the world just exploded, period. Right. Right. It's what exactly do you want me to do about this as you're the person you're bringing this to, right? So the idea is, yes, bring me the problem, but show me that you've put some thought into it. Come up with some proposals, some solutions, some suggestions, something that shows that you have taken my world into consideration. The fact that maybe I'm not omniscient and I can't just you know, and omnipotent where I can just decree whatever I want and change this and grant you that and magic potions and all that kind of stuff. You know, I have to answer to people too. I have everybody from bosses to stakeholders to clients to the rest of the team that I have to answer to. So I go back to Jerry Maguire a lot and that that great scene in, in the locker room, help me help you Yeah, between Jerry and Rod. And so show me that you've done that forethought. And that's an opportunity for you to demonstrate, not just that you're doing your work, but to demonstrate leadership Absolutely. in your own way. Absolutely. So uh, I, I think that's great. Thank you for reinforcing that. Absolutely. And, and you know, it really does bring us back to the fact that everything that we're doing now and talking about now, even though the context is work life, these skills are skills that will serve you well. Yes, absolutely. And Debbie, this is going to bring us to our 24-hour listener challenge. And this is how we're going to wrap up today. So given everything we've discussed so far, this is your chance to speak directly to the listeners and give them one step that they can take and complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence in this crazy world. What would you like to do? How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Yeah. So this is one of my favorite favorite things to do. Number one, because it really supports time management and it also helps you to be very concise and concrete about what you're asking somebody else to do or what you need. Okay. When we're dealing with email, right, we all get bogged down. Simply in your email subject line, identify what the subject of the email is. Be very clear. If you need something to be done by a certain time, absolutely say it. But if you do not need a response, Put a simple parenthesis with an EOM, end of message, which basically takes the place of texting because people still like email, even though (laughs) it's instantaneous, but it actually helps us to really be able to manage our work and life. So now explain why, what does EOM, end of message mean? And why is that key? What does that imply? You do not have to respond to this. You don't even have to open it if you don't want to. I am not looking for any reply or any response. So if you can establish that with your work world and your colleagues and just say, you know what, if you see end of message, 
you don't have to reply. We even at WFD, it's so funny, our colleagues, sometimes we'll have end of message two, end of message <laughs> three. I really did read what you said, but you know. Right. I didn't have to reply. I'm choosing to, and you don't have to reply, although you may choose to. Okay. You may choose to, you may choose to, but you know what? Right now we have so many other things that are taking our focus away. You know, that's just a really easy one that can eliminate a lot of headache stress. That's great. And so everybody, of course, if you are going to use that and it's not been part of your culture, you need to educate your people and let them know, here's, let's suggest this perhaps to use as a team, put EOM and EOM means let's start this new system here. I think that's a great, nice, super easy tip. That doesn't even need 24 hours. That needs 24 seconds to incorporate. Terrific. Absolutely. How can people learn more about you and WFD? I would be more than happy to have people call me directly at 617-219-8721 or go to our website, wfd.com, and we would be happy to respond to you and provide any support we can. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It was really enjoyable and I hope it helped. And to everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in once again. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and give us a five-star rating, thank you, on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, as always, if you'd like to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. Your advice is to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.